Last week we began chapter 6 of the Gospel according to Matthew, the next segment of Jesus' masterpiece, Sermon on the Mount, and where the theme really of this chapter and the bulk of chapter 7 is how we should now live as citizens of heaven. Specifically in these first eight, 18 verses, what our worship should look like and what our worship should not look like. Uh, the, the Pharisees and the other hypocrites of Jesus' time did things only for the glory of man's praises, for their own ego and pride, rather than worshiping to commune with the living God. And, you know, one point I intended to bring up last week is just how deceptive uh, our hearts can be, how deceptive this can look from the outside. Because two people can be praying side by side, or giving in the case that we discussed last week. And one person's heart is glorifying God and worshiping him in sincerity. And the other person is just lifted up in their own pride. Showing off with their many words or the way that they give as we covered last week. And regretfully, this trend is alive and well today as many people have discovered that the mere appearance of godliness is a means of gaining men's praise. So in short, there was nothing wrong with experiencing positive emotions with giving or praying or anything regarding our spiritual life, but to be careful not to let our pride go to our heads. You know, what, what can start off so simply is I'm so grateful to give to what and support financially what God is doing in this city, in this church in this uh, missions organization I might support. What begins with being so grateful to support what God is doing can quickly turn into, well, why isn't that guy giving? I give more than that person does. How come they never drop off anything in the plate? Deception, the snare of pride. And as we'll see, the same thing can happen in our prayer life as well. What begins with delighting in God's presence can become, well, why isn't that person praying? I pray more than that person does. If I had a third reading this morning, it would have been Jeremiah 17, verse 9, that says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's a good frame of work to understand what we're discussing when we talk about pride and letting pride get in the way of our spiritual life. So Jesus begins today's passage with some phrase, similar phrasing and similar emphasis to what we discussed last week, where he says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Sounds a lot like uh, verse 2 of last week. But don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. And truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into the, your room and shut the door. And pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, many parallels to last week. It's interesting that he mentions praying in the synagogues and in the street corners. Uh, in ancient Israel, there were three appointed times for prayer. Where the people would pray to God communally uh, wherever they were. At 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. And... Prayer wasn't normally formally practiced on the street corner, but 
one could plan their day to just so happen to be in the most public-facing place during one of those appointed times for prayer, so that they may be heard and admired for their eloquent public prayer, which is symptomatic of their problem. When they would pray, where they would pray, even the words that they would say when they are praying, all of it was designed and be crafted to be heard and seen by others rather than to meet with God, which is what prayer is about. So as Jesus often does, he takes the focus off of our outward-facing religion and he focuses it inward saying, you know, don't focus on being in the most public place, but go into your room. Get out of the public eye. Find yourself in a private place and pray there. Not because he's prohibiting public prayer, because Jesus did that all the time in the Gospels as well. He did, this isn't a prohibition of public prayer. But it's to point out, but, but, but it's interesting that even as he's addressing public prayer, he's emphasizing private prayer. Emphasizing that, which should point to us where our priority should be as well. Because when we pray privately, I mean, it strips away all of the, all of the issues that we face when we pray in public. All the pressure we feel about others seeing us and hearing us and choosing our words carefully especially to those of us who are more introverted, you know, it, it really changes the dynamic. Frankly, the, the dynamic always changes when you're with people, doesn't it? Uh, whether we're whether in the things of God and at church or even at home. You know, let me take a step back, actually. When, if my wife and I are at a party, we're not going to end, we're with other people, we're not going to be discussing vulnerable or embarrassing things in a group dynamic is it because we're inauthentic that we're not talking about vulnerable or difficult things to discuss in front of others no it's just not appropriate to the dynamic it's harder to discuss those types of things when you're in a group but in private it's easy to talk about those things with a loved one and somebody that you care about. You're free to discuss um, whatever deep issues are on your heart because it's just you guys. And that, again, that's not to say that we shouldn't pray publicly. Just like it's good to be in community with each other, we should be, meet communally together with God, just never one at the expense of the other. So now that you see where I'm going with that, and now that we know where preferably we are to pray, how are we to pray? How are we to approach God in prayer? Well, that's what verse 7 tells us, that when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So in short, we are to pray from the heart. Whatever is in there, for as long as it takes to express it. You know, some rabbis at that time had been teaching that it's long prayers that are heard by God. And eloquent prayers all the more so. 
And I'm sure by now you can pick up why I would hate that. You know, that, that, that it just reeks of that works-based nature that so many approach God with, that I have to earn my way to be heard by God, that I have to earn my standing before God, which is just categorically untrue. Because frankly, if we're talking about our own works, we're talking about our own righteousness, not a single person deserves to pray to God. Not a single person has earned our place before God's throne to be heard. It's only by God's grace that he hears us. It's only because he loves us that he hears us. Not because we've impressed him into hearing us. It's even prayer is a gift of God's grace that we should recognize and cherish it as such. So talking about these long prayers that people would offer up to God, there's, there's no value in long prayer for the sake of long prayer. You know, if you want to pray all night because you have so much on your heart, there's nothing wrong with doing that. I mean, I've spoken with some of you about some difficult family situations, and if you have all night's worth of prayer on your heart, there's nothing wrong with doing that. But we shouldn't pray for the sake of, okay, maybe God will hear me if I drag five minutes worth of material into an hour. Let me actually contrast that for a moment, because my prayer life was turned upside down about nine years ago when I was on a missions trip in Haiti. Because the, um, the, the pastor that was overseeing the mission would pray all day long, but not in these huge stretches. He would do it in like these really short, like 10-second intervals. I mean, something would happen. A missions opportunity would come up or some crazy thing would happen. He'd call all of us together and he'd pray for 10 seconds and then we'd all be back to what we were doing. He'd dismiss us. And it was really strange at first. It wasn't the way I was accustomed to praying. But it made sense. He said what he wanted to say to God and moved on about his day. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, he'd have another 10-second prayer for us. Constantly in prayer, but not making it long for the sake of being heard. And it's interesting to think that those 10-second prayers are as effective and as heard as hour-long prayers. If that's the same, if it's coming from the same heart. It's worth our consideration thinking about that kind of prayer. So when we pray, we're also not to utter up these empty phrases, or some translations say vain repetitions, referring to mindless, mechanical repetition in our prayer that is disconnected from our hearts. Now before we really dissect that, not all prayers that repeat are vain repetitions. Not everything that we say a second time is an empty phrase. Because in Matthew 20, uh, 26, 44, when Jesus was in the garden and, his, and he rebuked his disciples for falling asleep, Jesus went back to prayer and was, I quote, saying the same words. So if that's what's on your heart, it's okay to repeat yourself. In Isaiah chapter 6, we see, when we're, when we're seeing, the, seeing the throne room of God and the angels who are circling the throne, they were crying out, holy, holy, holy 
is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. I don't think that they were, yes, they were repeating holy, 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 but before the throne room of God and his majesty, you bet that they meant every word of it. Being awestruck by the presence of our God. And frankly, sometimes in my own life, during times of intense emotion, especially, you know, there are only so many words. And I, I, I say them, and I still feel like I have more to say, but it's the same words, so I say them again. <laughs> Not because I'm trying to be heard by chanting it over and over again, but, but that's what's on my heart. God looks at the heart, not just our words. And, you know, we, we, we do this all the time with our friends and family members and loved ones, don't we? I mean, when somebody's going through a tough time, especially, and they keep saying things like, oh, I'm just, I'm just so anxious about this, or I'm just so worried about that, or I, I just hope this, or I'm so afraid of that. And they keep coming back to that point in our discussion. Are we... Disappointed in that? No. No, we hear them out each time. And if it's fine when, we, when friends talk to us like that, would, why would we imagine God being any less patient? So if that's not it, what are these empty phrases that Jesus is warning us about? Well, a couple of things. The, the pagan culture around Israel would often chant the phrases of their religion or names of their gods repetitively and mindlessly. In 1 Kings 18, we see the prophets of Baal cried out for half a day trying to, trying to get their deity to do something, which the prophet Elijah thoroughly mocked, followed by a short prayer that is... 62 words in English and takes about a minute to say, and his prayer was promptly answered. It's not the length of prayer, it's who we're praying to. In Acts chapter 19, a riot broke out in Ephesus where the people chanted, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! For two straight hours. <laughs> Just chanting that same phrase over and over again. So obviously this, this isn't unique. It's all over world religions. And frankly, there are places where it's crept into the church as well. I mean, I can certainly say that this of our neighbors up the street who teach you to pray several pre-written prayers to pre-deceased saints for, for things as menial as losing your car keys. That's everything wrong with prayer summed up in one doctrine. Praying to the wrong person with the wrong heart for the wrong reasons. So when they do it, or even when we pray to God in this mindless manner, there's no meaning to it. It doesn't mean anything. I mean, let me demonstrate this for you guys. Did anyone have one of those, like, pull string dolls growing up? We, we, it's got a doll with a little pull chain on the back and a little voice box on the inside. You pull the thing and it says, I love you. I love you. <laughs> It's not choosing to say, I love you. It's just what it does. You pull the thing, and that's what comes out. Beautiful words, perhaps, but it doesn't mean anything. That's why the heart matters in prayer more than words. Because could you imagine having a loved one, a, a spouse, a son, a daughter, a grand, 
a grandchild where if you just pulled their, where that had a string on their back and you pull that and they just said, I love you, mommy. I love you, daddy. Would that mean anything to you? No, it's mechanical. It doesn't have intrinsic meaning to it. Prayer isn't a legal document where the words have to be the right length, said in the right way, phrased exactly right to be effective. It's about the relationship behind the conversation, the relationship we have with God. So we aren't heard because of our many words or because we are praying in a certain way. We're heard because we are a child of God. But wait, John, what, what about that parable of the unjust judge? You know, wasn't Jesus teaching that, uh, you know, in that case of there was this widow that wanted justice. So she pleaded before the judge and said over and over, annoying him night and day until she got what she wanted. Isn't that what Jesus is teaching us to pray? You know, to, to, to just keep on asking, keep on knocking. Well, actually, that's one of the more misunderstood parables of Jesus. That's not what it's trying to get at. Jesus gave that teaching as a contrast to the truth, the antithesis of how we are to pray. You know, it's saying, you know, yes, if this woman is approaching someone who is unjust, if she persists unrelentingly, she'll eventually get what she wants even from an unjust judge. How much more so will a loving father answer his children without having to make them beg? That's the point that Jesus is driving at. That we are free to approach God and he wants to answer our prayers that are for our good in his time. That That a good father will give good things to his children. That's the point. It's been said that prayer is not about overcoming God's reluctance. So no, it's not our point, our marching orders aren't to annoy God into getting what we want. But that we are to approach him authentically as his child. And that we can expect to hear from him. And we can expect to be heard. You know, my children, you know, most of you guys know I'm working from home right now. And, you know, it's not infrequent that my children will burst into my home office, whether expected or not. And they'll just burst into the room and they immediately have my attention. How much more so when we approach the throne room of God on our knees in prayer? And how much and how much more so is God patient than I am? But I must emphasize as we work towards our conclusion this morning that the point of prayer isn't to be heard so we can get stuff. I, I, I become, but to commune with the living God. That's the point of prayer. And I become convinced that the reason why we don't pray more is because we don't truly understand what we're doing. Uh, Dr. Del Tackett once said that if we really believed what we say we believe in prayer, our problem wouldn't be getting us to start to pray. It would be getting us to stop. 
Do you hear his point? If we really believe what we say we believe, that when we get down on our knees metaphorically to pray, that we are somehow spiritually transported to the throne room of God and invited to speak with him, the God who made this universe with the same confidence that we have when we speak to our friends, and that I'm actually invited throughout Scripture to cast my cares and anxieties upon him, and that I can come with boldness before that very throne, that I, and I will really obtain his help, and that all this is neither an annoyance or an inconvenience of him, I think if we really believe that, then every one of us would pray without ceasing. I think we would turn this city upside down. The question is, do we really, really believe in prayer? And it's one thing to answer that question as if I'm answering it as, the, as a question phrased on a test. I think we all intuitively know what the right answer is. But do we really believe it? It's a tough thought this morning. And so my final exhortation to you this morning is to pray until you pray. Pray until you pray. I've noticed even in my own prayer life that sometimes when I approach God in prayer, you know, the first words out of my mouth usually are these formalities and repetitions and, you know, just the, the routine is still there for the first minute or so of prayer. But there comes a point where you move past that. And you really start communing with God. You really start enjoying the conversation. Fresh words start flowing out. There's a difference. And I'd encourage all of you guys, give it a shot. See what happens when you just push a little bit faster or just wait or push a little bit longer, I should say, not faster. And give room for silence, give word uh, to, to meditate, and then see what comes out next. Are we going to be heard for longer prayers? Better? No, not necessarily. But we will commune with God differently, which I think is a very good thing. Now, I have to come back to uh, verse 8 next week as I'm kind of out of time. But let, I, want to, I want us to look at where Jesus' line of thought is going. Verse 7 says not to pray in an empty, vain, repetitious, meaningless, mindless sort of way in verse 7. Two verses later, verse 9, what does he start doing? The Lord's Prayer. Is it possible we've taken the Lord's Prayer and made it mindless and meaningless and repetitious? I think we absolutely have. I think everyone's heart is different, but I think by majority we've reduced it as a culture to more of a tradition that we do than a genuine prayer from the heart. And each repetition and of the Lord's Prayer without dwelling on the meaning of the words puts it in the same category as the prayers of the Pharisees. That's an uncomfortable thought. So what are we to make of the Lord's Prayer? How are we to salvage it from becoming empty and meaningless? 
Welp, I look forward to discussing that next week. Hate to end on a cliffhanger, but that's where we kind of end it. But uh, let's go before the Lord. Let's reach out to him in prayer this week. Let's reach out to him, each of us, meaningfully, individually. And today, let's really meditate on what these words mean when we come to that part of our service. And let's engage our minds as we pray to him. And the Bible says we will be heard. Thanks be to God. Amen.